Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck, four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 a.m. at 94.5 FM. Another day, another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 105th and Metcalf in Overland Park, or give Kim and her team a call at American Family Insurance at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. And if you mention to them that you heard their ad here on The Shift... Kim and her team will give you a free $10 gift card to use at Starbucks. Use it for coffee, tea, breakfast items. It's your $10. All you got to do is call that number at 913-649-2002 and tell them that you heard their ad here on The Shift. For the 17th time in 20 seasons, the Kansas Jayhawks will be champions of the Big 12. After last night's 67-63 win over Texas Tech, they clinched at least a share of the Big 12 title. They have shared it, I believe, two other times with Texas Tech and Kansas State in the last decade. But right now they have a game-and-a-half lead on the Texas Longhorns, who are in action tonight in Fort Worth against TCU. So if Texas loses tonight to TCU, that game on Saturday will not have any implications for the Big 12 title race. It'll be Kansas by two games, and all I can do at that point is just hold that lead. Because if Baylor then were to win on Saturday and Kansas were to beat Texas, well, then Baylor finishes second in the Big 12. But last night's game for Kansas, very similar to their game against West Virginia. It was ugly, wasn't very pretty, had some poor performances from some key players. Last night they got virtually nothing from Grady Dick, who in what was likely his final game at Allen Fieldhouse He did not make a shot from the floor. Had four points. All four of those points came from the free throw line. K.J. Adams only took four shots, had seven points. But they were led by the other three. Kevin McCuller nearly had a double-double with 14 and 9. Dewan Harris had 16 points and five assists, only one turnover. And Jalen Wilson, in his final game at Allen Fieldhouse, led Kansas in scoring with a game-high 21 points on 6 of 16 shooting. Also added in five boards and two assists. Off the bench, Joseph Yesfu had one three-pointer, and Ernest Uday kept his perfect streak of made shots on his one-for-one night with just two points, of course. Ernest Uday has not missed a shot in conference play, though it has been a very small sample size. I believe he's 21 of 21 in conference play. I know the common perception of a gritty win like this, a 67-63 win over Texas Tech, is not going to be seen as that impressive. It may worry you that the Jayhawks would be struggling against a team like Texas Tech, who is now ninth in the conference. But at this point in the season, it doesn't matter if you're blowing out teams or you're winning ugly, as long as you're winning. And Kansas hasn't lost since their road trip up to Ames, Iowa, back on It would have been February 4th. So it's nearly been a month since the last time Kansas has lost. They have beaten Texas in that span, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State on the road, Baylor at home, TCU on the road, and then now back-to-back games against West Virginia and Texas Tech. Now, it's been a little bit inconsistent in how they've won those games. They handled Texas, they blew out Oklahoma, pretty much handled Oklahoma State, blew out Baylor but then have had three straight nail-biters against TCU, Baylor, 
and Texas Tech. But here's the thing, and I, it's not really a intelligent thing to say. It's not breaking any barriers here. I'm not going to give you the shock factor, but in March, you got to be able to win ugly as well. you got to be able to win games when your star player doesn't play well. And Jalen Wilson was good last night. Grady Dick was not. And there's going to be very few times in the tournament that Kansas is going to be able to win ugly if Grady Dick has a performance like he did last night, 0 of 7 from the floor and 0 of 6 from deep. That just can't happen. But you do have more confidence now in this team that they can win games when key guys are down and out. They beat Texas by eight points at home when Jalen Wilson had two. They've won games when Kevin McCuller was a non-factor. They've won games when Dewan Harris was a non-factor. But I think I'm going to go out on my show here today and say there's one guy in that starting five that has to play well every single game in March. Uh, he is the X factor. You know, you can live with a Jalen Wilson 25-point game, but there's still a chance they lose. You know, there's a time where K.J. Adams can give you 15 or 17. They could still lose. You know, Kevin McCuller can give you a great performance, still can lose. Grady Dick can have 25 points like he did against Baylor. They could still lose by six or seven points. But when Dewan Harris plays the way that he has been playing in this recent winning streak for Kansas, there's very few teams in the country that can beat them. And just go back to last year. When Kansas hit their stride, and more importantly hit their stride in March, it was because Dewan Harris became a scoring factor. And right now, this is the best stretch that he he has had at Kansas. And good news for Kansas fans, Bill Self mentioned, I believe, earlier in the week, I want to say it was back on Monday or Tuesday, that Dewan Harris is expected to return next season. So you'll get Harris for another year. And if you don't think Dewan Harris is the most important player for Kansas, I'm not really sure how to convince you. I know he's not the most imposing figure. He doesn't put up 20, 25 points like Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick do. But we've seen this team take off when Dewan Harris plays really well. And he's been the saving grace for this team. He's kind of been that guy of late that when you need the bucket... When you need the shot from deep, he's usually cashing in. In his last five games, he's shooting over 40% from three. You know, that's not the typical Dewan Harris. Back when this team was struggling, go to that loss against Kansas State in Manhattan near the beginning of conference play. Dewan Harris was one of seven from the floor. He did have 11 assists, but he wasn't that much of a scoring factor. Then against TCU, when they lose by 23 points, he was shut out. 0-4 from the floor, still at 8 assists, but not scoring the ball. Then against Baylor, when the Bears won in Waco by 6, Dewan Harris had 2. It didn't matter that Grady Dick had 24 and Jalen Wilson had 23. It simply did not matter. The game against Iowa State, when Kansas lost by 15. How many points did Dewan Harris have? 2. He was 1-5 of five from the floor. Jalen Wilson had 26. It did not matter. Every single loss it feels like this season, Kansas has not gotten much from Dewan Harris. Their loss to Tennessee, their first loss of the year, lost by 14. Dewan Harris, one of two from the floor. He had two points. Jalen Wilson gave you 14, and Joseph Yesfu gave you 14. Didn't matter. They lost by 14 points. So, yeah, across the board here, there have been times this season where they've also won games when Dewan Harris doesn't play well. But it's the stretch they've been on of late that really opens my eyes, and it shows you how valuable Dewan Harris is to this team, which is why I think every Kansas fan held their breath when he went down with an injury at the tail end of the West Virginia game because they would not make it out of the first weekend without Dewan Harris. That's how big the gap is between Dewan Harris and Joseph Yesfu and Bobby Pettiford. He is the X factor. Kansas will go as far as Dewan Harris takes him. And I don't think I'm the only one saying that, but I know the common player to point to is Jalen Wilson. The common guy to point to is Grady Dick. I think it's Dewan Harris Jr. You know, against Texas, go back to the game when they started this streak. They went 88-80 to against the Longhorns and Allen Fieldhouse. Dewan Harris had 17 points, took more shots than anybody else on the floor. He was 8 of 16. That was 5 more than Grady Dick, who was second in shot attempts in the game. He was 7 of 11. But Dewan Harris had 17 points, 6 boards, and 5 assists, 4 steals. 
All right, there was the first game in the winning streak against Oklahoma when Grady Dick had a great game, Kevin McCullough had a great game, K.J. Adams did as well. Well, Dewan Harris gives you 16 points on 7 of 11 shooting, three boards, three assists, and three steals. So there's the two-game winning streak against Oklahoma State when the Jayhawks win by 11 in Stillwater. This was probably the game he reverted back to a little bit and being not much of a factor, but the key stat is when he scores more than three points, Kansas has been undefeated throughout his entire career. So Dewan Harris, if I'm not mistaken, it's his entire career, not just this season. So Dewan Harris, five points in that game, nine assists, but five boards and two steals. Then you go to the game against Baylor, 87-71 win against the Bears. He had 14 points on six of eight shooting and nine assists, nearly a double-double. Then you go to the game against TCU, where not many players were much of a scoring factor, including Dewan Harris, but he kind of was a stat stuffer in that game, stat sheet stuffer at that. Six points, five boards, eight assists. I would say a pretty valuable type of game, and the key number, he scored over three points. Against West Virginia last Saturday, Dewan Harris had 17 points, six assists, and six steals. And last night, of course, Dewan Harris was one of the key factors as well. He gives you 16 points, five assists, and two steals as well. He's getting more confident and putting up a lot of shots in the game. When Dewan Harris is taking only two or three shots a game, they're not going to have to worry about guarding him. But when you get in that eight, nine, to ten shots per game type of area, this is when Kansas takes off. And I think we're seeing a Kansas team that is going to be an incredibly tough out, and that was already going to be the case, whether Dewan Harris was playing well at this stretch or not, because Kansas was going to be a number one seed. But Kansas goes from a good number one seed to the best number one seed when Dewan Harris was being this much of a factor or is being this much of a factor. Right now, Joe Lenardi put out his most recent bracketology. You know where he has Kansas? As the number one seed in the Midwest region now, which we've been talking about over and over and over again on the show, what needed to happen for this Kansas team to surpass Houston and grab the number one seed in the Midwest and bump Houston to the South region. But now as long as Kansas doesn't slip up over these next two games, because they can lose to Texas, I think, and as long as they can hang on to that clinch spot at least. If if Texas loses tonight against TCU, which I would have my expectations that they do, I don't think it really matters what happens on Saturday. Not only for Big 12 title implications, but I think for the number one seed in the Midwest region. Now if Kansas loses to Texas and then loses in the opening round of the Big 12 tournament, whether that be against West Virginia or Texas Tech or Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, then we could have a different conversation. But I think as long as Kansas wins at least one game in the Big 12 tournament, they're not going to be bumped out of that number one seed in the Midwest region. I've changed my opinion on it because I thought, even a couple days ago, that Kansas likely had to win out because Houston was not going to lose again, and it didn't feel like Houston was going to be bumped off the number one seed in the Midwest region, kind of similar to what they've done with Gonzaga in the last couple of years. Gonzaga didn't deserve to be the number one overall seed ever. They never did. But they weren't going to penalize Gonzaga for just winning games because they were dominating their opponents. So I thought Houston would get the same treatment. They're going to continue to dominate in the American. Kansas needed to dominate in the best conference in college basketball. And even then, there was no guarantee they would get the top spot in the Midwest. But now I think there's bigger things on the table for Kansas than just eyeballing winning the Big 12 outright. Of course they want to get that done, but right now they can kind of take a back seat. If TCU wins, now the focus is winning the Big 12 tournament. But I think overall, the goal for Kansas, and I'm not talking about national title, I'm talking about taking it step by step here. I know I'm looking a few steps ahead, actually, so this might be a little bit hypocritical. But Kansas needs to be eyeballing the number one overall seed getting to pick where you want your region, which would be the Midwest, putting Kansas and Des Moines in the round of 64 and round of 32, and then Kansas City for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight if they were to get there. So the number one overall seed, I think, for this specific year is paramount. I mean, you can't have a team like Houston or Alabama get that top spot. You need to go and grab that and set yourself up for a nice run like this. Last year... You know, I wouldn't say that you had necessarily a 
bad location. I think you were in Fort Worth in the opening weekend, and then you went to Chicago. Both huge fan bases for KU. However, you go Des Moines to Kansas City, you're barely traveling. I mean, you're not having to go a far ways. And if you're the number one overall seed, maybe you can get the favorable matchup with a softer two, a softer three, and a softer four. Kansas really benefited last year from getting a very weak two in Auburn. I mean, Auburn might have been the weakest two that the NCAA tournament had seen in the last five years. And that Auburn team was really bad. And it showed they lost to Miami in the second round. I want to say the four seed was Providence and the three was Iowa. Iowa lost to... No, maybe Iowa wasn't the three. Iowa was, I think, the five. No, they were the four. Excuse me. Iowa was the four. Providence was the five. Kansas saw Providence the Sweet 16. Iowa lost to Richmond in the opening round. I'm blanking on who the three seed was. I couldn't quite remember who the three seed was and the Midwest thing Kansas was in last year as well. So the three seed in that one was Wisconsin. Wisconsin, that's yeah. right. And they lost in the second round, I think it was. Yeah, um, to uh, Iowa State. Yes, correct. Yes, Iowa State was the sixth in that, that region. So Kansas really got uh, the best possible region last year, not only from location to location, but they got a lot of the weaker seats. And that was a Kansas team that, kind of like we're seeing right now, they took off. They had their one loss, I want to say it was in late January, early February, lost in Fort Worth to TCU, never lost again. Now, it is still, and I'm going to continue to say this until either Kansas makes it to the Final Four or they're bounced, that it is so incredibly tough to go win it back-to-back. Last time we saw it was the 06-07 Florida Gators team. They won it back-to-back with the Joakim Noahs, the Al Horfords, the Corey Brewers, you know, that type of Florida team. It's been 15 years, and Duke did it as well in the early 90s. But overall, it's still a very unlikely scenario in which Kansas runs it back. However, I do think Kansas now, where they had maybe, after the loss to Iowa State, I would have given Kansas a 10 to 15% chance of making the Final Four. That was where my gut was at at the moment. Because I thought they would probably be hovering around a two-seed at that point. They weren't playing as well. They were not far removed from their three-game losing streak. But then now they've hit their stride. They've hit their stride. And I think it's bumped to get to the Final Four from about a 10 to 15 to I would give it about a 25. And that still seems low, right? Because making the Final Four is really difficult. But in Joe Lunardi's most recent bracketology, not only does he have Kansas as the number one seed in the Midwest region, it's a bit of a soft 2-3-4 matchup. Like, to me, this is going to be the difference in bumping that 25% to maybe a 30. And that still might be a bit high because of how hard it is to make it out of your region. All you need is one off night, and it could derail your entire season. But Joe Lunardi put this out about an hour ago. He has Kansas as the one in the Midwest, UCLA is the two. We've mentioned this on the show. We mentioned this on the night shift that we have every Wednesday out at Hollywood Casino on Sports Radio 810. UCLA is a good team. They're not one that scares me like an Arizona or scares me like a Baylor. No, UCLA being the two in Kansas's region, not saying it's as good of a matchup as Auburn was last year, but I think you would take UCLA over a Baylor or over Arizona, hell, even over a Kansas State. The three seed in the Midwest they have is Gonzaga. I think you'd be pretty okay with playing a team like Gonzaga, who has not been tested since the non-conference. And the four seed, a team you mollywopped at Allen Fieldhouse earlier this year in Indiana. So if Kansas gets that in the Midwest region, yeah, I'm putting their chances at a Final Four run 28 to 30%. You know, I think I think that still seems very high, and I'm just spitballing here. I don't have the actual mathematical percentage of what it would be. Honestly, if you're going by mathematical percentages, it'd still be around 12 to 13, 14% because of how tough it is to win that many games in a row. I mean, you're playing a game on Friday, a game on Sunday, or a game on Thursday, and a game on Saturday. You make it to next weekend, same thing, Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday. No, it's it's back to back to back to back to back. You do get a week off if you advance, but it is so incredibly tough to make it to the Final Four every single year. 
But I think what's so interesting about this Kansas team and why I think they're starting to win over the hearts and win over the minds at that of Kansas fans everywhere. You can have confidence in your team, but you need to see that March mentality, I guess you would say. You know what? I think what this team has that last year's team really didn't pick up till the tournament was a really good late-game defensive approach. That's back-to-back games now. West Virginia and Texas Tech. Hell, I'll go three. TCU on the road, West Virginia at home, and Texas Tech at home. That is three straight games that Kansas has needed a big-time stop with under a minute to go. And they've gotten it. They really locked down. They're, they're not fouling. They're not over-gambling. And you know what's even better about that? They don't have a damn post presence. They can't rely on a guy like Yudoka Azabuki or Jeff Withy or Cole Aldridge or Joel Embiid to just sit in the paint and nobody's going to go inside on there. K.J. Adams is 6'7 on a good day. He's their biggest guy out there on the floor. Or you can give it to Jalen Wilson, who's 6'7, 6'8 as well, but not a very good vertical. He's not a post presence. He's guarding guards out there on the wing. So Kansas locks up mainly on the perimeter, and that has made teams completely panic and scramble. They're discombobulated on those last couple possessions. They don't get what they want. And those are stops you need in the NCAA tournament. You know, when things are reeling a little bit, you need that stop so you can go on a 6-0 run. You need that stop with under a minute to go to start to go back on the other end and shoot knockdown free throws, ice the game. You know, that's the difference, I think, between this year's squad and last year's squad. Hell, last year's squad, David McCormick wasn't much of, of a post presence. He still was 6'10". No, he could go up against some of the bigger guys in the tournament. He could go up against some of the bigger guys in the Big 12. KU plays fast. KU plays with their transition offense. But defensively, we're starting to see with DeWan Harris, Kevin McCuller, you know, KJ Adams, Jalen Wilson, I think the only liability defensively in that starting five is Grady Dick. And teams are going to try to expose that. But last night, I did not walk away from that game frustrated, angry, and going, yeah, this team's going to get bounced. It's hard to win in the Big 12. It doesn't matter if you're at home or you're on the road. And they get away with a 67-63 win over Texas Tech last night in Allen Fieldhouse on senior night for Kevin McCuller and Jalen Wilson. And now for the 17th time in 20 seasons, Kansas will have at least a share of the Big 12 title, regular season title, that is. Bill Self has 17 regular season conference championships, and he has 17 home losses at Allen Fieldhouse in his time at Kansas. Just absurd numbers. They'll be back in action on Saturday against the Texas Longhorns, who go up against TCU tonight. And that does feel like a game that everybody's going to be watching here because if Texas were to fall, then Kansas is the outright Big 12 champion in which a conference in which Dick Vitale called the best conference he's seen in the last 20 years of college basketball. Let's take our first break of the show. When we come back, we got some audio to play from you for the from the NFL Draft Combine from Brett Veach. Who is he looking for? What qualities he's looking for in a player? And some offseason talk of players he may bring back or players he's looking to extend. We'll get into that next on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We got some audio to play from you for the NFL Combine, or for the NFL Combine, from the Chiefs General Manager, Brett Veach. Keep getting a tongue twister with that. But Brett Veach and Andy Reid both spoke at the NFL Combine yesterday. They were asked about some offseason moves, who they are looking for in the draft, some guys that are exciting them. Just basically the typical off-season talk. But I thought Brett Veach had more valuable things to say, more intriguing things than Andy Reid did. So without further ado, here is what Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach had to say at the NFL Draft Combine. All right, really just to put a bow on last season, I mean, what an, what an amazing year. And really just looking back on the last five years, I mean, five AFC championship games at Arrowhead, um, three AFC titles and two Super Bowl wins. Um, I don't think you have that level of success unless your organization 
is operating on a high level throughout the department. So just really quickly want to thank Clark Hunt, Mark Donovan, our amazing coaching staff. You know, two groups that seem to always get overlooked, but at this time of year I always want to make sure I uh, say a special thank you to them. And that's our training staff, Rick Berholder and his crew do an amazing job, and Ted Cruz and his staff. I mean, these guys do so much behind the scenes, and um, they take a lot of stress off a of coach and, uh, and my staff and also take a lot of stress off of Pat Mahomes. So that's, uh, that's a big deal for us. So I want to thank Ted. And then lastly, my staff, uh, love seeing them this time of year. You know, last year we came here and there was a lot of questions about our roster and, you know, how do we turn the page. And um, I think when you have the, the GM blue book, it kind of says smart and free agency and built through the draft. And I think I've learned over the years that, as you have more and more success, that becomes more difficult um, because the players cost more and you're picking late in the draft. So, you know, last year we really had a you know, slam dunk this thing from start to finish, and um, it was one of those years that GM dreams of just, you know, everything seemed like worked out, whether, you know, it was the offseason with, with Juju MVS and um, Jay Reed, Carlos, and then the draft players from Trent McDuffie all the way down to Isaiah Pacheco rounds one through seven helping us out. So we'll certainly um, be happy to take the, uh, the pats in the back this combine, but no. Once we leave here, it'll be um, starting from scratch again, and um, we're ready for that challenge. So, with that, I'll take questions. Yeah, I mean, it's an option. It, you know, we went through this um, path last year, and as always, Herbie, you, you know, it's more beneficial for us to, to get something done long term, and. You know, that's why this, this season is so important for us, and, and really this is the start. I mean, we'll have a lot of dialogue. You know, as you know, I mean, Combine is great to come in here and check out the new college uh, talent, but a lot of the time here we're spent talking with the agents of our players. So start exchanging information. Now, uh, unlike last year, I think we have at least a, a runway to work with, and, you know, we, we've gotten to know his team a little bit better. So, you know, we're excited to get that process started here, and hopefully we can get something figured out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a big deal because I don't think we started that until really late in the process, and you know, time became became a factor there. So I think you know that's certainly gonna gonna help facilitate things, and you know, we'll just um, go to work right away and see what we can get done. Yeah, I think the unique thing about Patrick is is he can really play any style of, of football, and, and we've seen it throughout his career. I mean, he can play the up-tempo running gun stuff, but I think, you know, last year was a good kind of turning point um, for our team, and, you know, we saw uh, a lot of different coverages, and teams forced us to play patient. But I think, you know, when we looked at that trade last year, I, I think in our mindset we knew uh, you're not going to find another Tyree kill. Um, so let's just go out there and get good football players. And the cool thing and the advantage that we had is that Pat can play any style of football. So he can work with the bigger um, bigger receivers and, and play more of a, a, a tempoed game and, and just play the small game if we have to. So I don't think we ever thought we're going to go out there and find another Tyree Kill. Certainly speed and athleticism, versatility will always be at the, the top of our list. But really, we just want to collect good football players. I don't think the age one, as far as Tyree Kill, I mean, you know, that speed, I mean, any team is, is going to want that. Um, I think it's it's probably more imperative, depending on the quarterback. I mean, like I said, I mean, the cool thing about having Pat Mahomes is um, certainly if you get him a Tyree Kill, um, it, it makes your team more dangerous. But I think Pat showed yesterday that, you know, or not yesterday, but last year, that he can, you know, work with a variety of skill sets and, and be effective. Good. Yeah, I mean, the Senior Bowl is is uh, certainly a very high-priority list for us in regards to, you know, how we come about our process. And, um, you know, Jim Nagy, I mean, he's worked in the league for a long time. I mean, he knows what we're looking for, and he does a great job of, of reaching out to GMs, reaching out to scouting directors to make sure that that game is, is run the way it needs to be. And I think if you just look at our roster, um, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Noah Gray, Kadarius Toney, the two corners last year, I think if you just look at our roster, I think it kind of tells the story of how important the Senior Bowl is for us. Yep. 
Well, I, I mean, you know, it's funny because, you know, Denver started to turn the corner. They were right at the end of the season and played some really good football. And now with Coach Payton, I mean, they'll be even more dangerous. And I think Russell kind of got into a groove late. Uh, our division is is really tough, and I think that was one of the things that really helped us in our playoff run. I, I think you know playing you know the Chargers twice a year and the Raiders, and you know the Broncos got off to a little bit of a slow start, but I think they played good football late. Um, and certainly, Coach Payton only only adds um, to the degree of difficulty of, of having to get through that. So that'll certainly be a challenge. What was the second part of your question? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably, to a certain extent, need some cap space, but, you know, we have a long history with him and his agent, too, so he'll be one of the many conversations we have this week and look forward to getting with him and seeing if we can work something out that makes sense for, for both parties. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's extremely difficult. Um, I think you just got to be buttoned up on your free agency plan. I don't think you can go in there and have, um, you know, a set of A, B, C, D. I mean, you have to just, you know, have a plan, stick to it, and knock it out of the park. And if the plan doesn't work, you got to move on quickly. Um, and I just think the level of communication that we have with our coaching staff, because, I mean, you do obviously have to hit on the draft. And, um, you know, when you have a the rapport that we have with my staff and our coaching staff, I think it just, it helps in that process because, you know, the scheme and the vision and the fit, I mean, we're all on the same page. And I, and I just think the fact that Coach and I have worked together for so long and, and even Coach Spaggs and I have been together for a long time now, I think that continuity is something that has really helped us transition to that second part of past contract where it is difficult. But I think you guys saw last year that, you know, all the rookies that we, we drafted, I mean, were major contributors. So I think it's... Um, very difficult to do, but I think the continuity plays a, a huge role in our success. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a huge advantage for us just because um, I think we know what our offseason looks like for the, you know, by and large. I mean, it's always going to change, and I mean, look, the cap's going to go up now, and, and hopefully now we have have had some successful off seasons and everything's back to normal knock on wood um things will continue to get better and better and better but you know the big part or the big piece of that puzzle is something that we have you know a degree of certainty and, and things will have to get changed and adjusted as we go there as well but just knowing that pat will be here for a long time and knowing that's you know the, the biggest um pie part of that pie is is accounted for just helps us you know focus our attention on the offense and defensive side and not have to worry about the most important piece. Yeah, I mean, we always try to stick to the best available. It's probably a cookie-cutter line all GMs use. and um, It does become difficult sometimes when you have um, certain position groups that are, you know, really deep because, you, you know, you do think, you know, maybe he's a little higher in value, but there's depth in that position, so maybe you can get something similar. So it's just working, working the board and really trusting your guys at the end of the day. Um, you know, handicapping teams and their needs is a big part of that, and that's where our pro department comes into play in this college process, just kind of projecting what their teams will do. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you always try to stick to just the best player because it is a game of attrition, so you can sit there and think that you're deep at a, a position. I remember a few years ago we thought we were really deep at defensive line, and within the first three or four weeks we lost three of them. Um, so you always want to make sure you take the best player. Yeah, you know, I don't really know. I mean, it's a, that's a fair question. It's a good question. I mean, on one end, I mean, we have Pat Steele done. On the other end, we'll certainly have to monitor the rest of these deals. And, you know, we have you know, a lot of years with, with Pat contracts. So, I mean, that's something we'll have to read and adjust as time goes. But, I mean, we'll just see. I mean, all these teams, you know, are structurally different. You know, how they handle contracts like this are different and how they the cash flows are different. So it's it'll be an interesting time frame. And, and you know, we had to go through that um, 
that hurdle there. Now Cincinnati and San Diego, and these teams have to go through that there. So um, I'm kind of like you. I'm anxious to see how they uh, work their deals, and we'll be taking a look at every aspect of, of how they do that. Last question. Last question. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that, um, you know, the, the physical attributes in regards to, you know, I mean, we're looking for good football players and we're also looking for, you know, uh, a room fit, a cultural fit, how they, you know, how they fit with our with our coaching staff. I mean, there's so many things that we take in consideration. Um, you know, every year when you have these drafts and, and you see what it be a mock draft or, or guys listen on the board, I mean, I think people tend to forget that, you know, there's a lot of dialogue. It's not like the Chiefs like smaller receivers. No, I mean, we like good football players, but um, do they pass the medical? Do they pass, you know, the interviews with our coaches, with our offensive coordinator, with our receiver coach, with our head coach? Is the chemistry there? Do they feel like they'll be good blend in our locker room with our current receiving group? So there's a lot of things that factor into it. And, you know, I think in both those cases, you know, I think we felt like the fit from the health um, medical grades to the, you know, how they interviewed with us and, you know, how we thought they'd come in and catch on quickly and how we can move them around, things like that. I think we take all that in consideration, and sometimes there are factors, and I'm not saying anything to do with those two guys, but just as a whole, I think there's a lot of underlying information that we have to just be accountable for, and sometimes they, they, they move you in a different direction, and you continue to just move on and, and learn from each experience. All right, thank you. Yep. There was... Chiefs general manager Brett Veach at the NFL Draft Combine going over some offseason moves and what he anticipates. Also looking ahead, of course, to the NFL Draft that will be in April here in Kansas City. There was some massive draft news coming out this morning involving Georgia defensive lineman Jalen Carter. This is from Seth Emerson on Twitter, senior writer for The Athletic. Excuse me. Covering Georgia football. You can follow him on Twitter at Seth W. Emerson. He reports that Jalen Carter, one of the top NFL draft prospects, is subject of arrest warrant in Athens after being implicated by police for racing in the car, cra- racing in the car that crashed and took the former life of a teammate and Georgia staffer. Per this statement, as a result of the ongoing investigation to the January fifteenth, twenty twenty three fatal crash that occurred in the nine hundred block of Barnett Shoals Road. The Athens-Clark County Police Department has secured arrest warrants for Jalen Carter, 21 years of age, for reckless driving and racing. The investigation found that Chandler LaCroix, driver of the 2021 Ford Expedition, and Jalen Carter, driver of a 2021 Jeep Trackhawk, were operating their vehicles in a manner consistent with racing shortly after leaving the downtown Athens area at about 2.30 a.m. The evidence demonstrated that both vehicles switched between lanes, drove in the center turn lane, drove in opposite lanes of travel, overtook other motorists, and drove at high rates of speed in an apparent attempt to outdistance each other. Evidence indicated that shortly before the crash, the expedition was traveling at about 104 miles per hour. The toxicology report indicated that LaCroix's blood alcohol concentration was at .197 at the time of the crash. Investigators determined that alcohol impairment, racing, reckless driving, and speed were significant contributing factors to the crash. This case will be given to the Solicitor General's office. So Jalen Carter, one of the top NFL draft prospects out of Georgia, defensive lineman for one of the top-rated defenses in college football last year, is now subject of an arrest warrant in Athens. Uh, He was supposed to apparently speak to the media this morning, but about 30, 45 minutes before he took the podium, this news came out, and of course he is no longer speaking with the media. Uh, This stuff is wild to follow, and I think, of course, more than anything, it was an absolute tragedy that happened, but then you have information like this come out. I don't think, you know, I'm going to sit here and point fingers and put blame on people. I mean, obviously the two at hand there, LaCroix and Carter, are the ones to blame for this, driving recklessly, drag racing, going 104 miles an hour, having alcohol involved in it, cost the life of a former teammate and a Georgia staffer. So there are easy people to blame here, but, man, I think it just goes to show you how quickly your life can change in an instant and when stuff like this comes out. And and sometimes 
college kids, even though Marco and I aren't far removed from college, you just don't think about the future in some moments. Maybe you've done it before. You think, I'm not going to get caught this time. We've had multiple shows where we've talked about guys getting in trouble off the field. I remember vividly the show that we had in the aftermath of the Henry Ruggs situation. You know, Henry Ruggs was at Top Top Golf with friends, with his girlfriend. They'd been drinking, and instead of calling an Uber, instead of just having somebody else drive him home, he decides to drive home and go 100 and, what was it, 130, 140 in the middle of the night down a Las Vegas road and killed a woman and her dog. And his life is now forever changed. He'll never again play in the NFL. Not saying Jalen Carter won't get any any chance, but certainly now his draft stock will be affected. And maybe that's not the thing to look into right now because, like I said earlier, the grand scheme of things that it was a tragedy. Two people's lives were lost. The sports really shouldn't matter about this. But for today's conversation with Jalen Carter, I mean, this was a guy that was likely going to go in the first round. Now who knows where he's going to end up because of one decision that may cost him his future. Not saying he can't be successful in the NFL. Not saying he should never get a second chance, because I'm sure what he and LaCroix are living with is that they cost two people their lives. I mean, I'm sure that's more so on their minds than what their future is in sports. But right now, with this sort of conversation with the NFL Draft Combine in full swing, and with the NFL Draft upcoming, you got to look at something like this and go, now what does the future look like? for a guy like Jalen Carter. I don't know if Jalen Carter was ever on the radar for the Chiefs because he was supposed to be a first-round draft prospect, and he likely would have been taken before the Chiefs had a chance to select him, but I don't know. Maybe they envisioned him falling a little bit. Maybe they envisioned trading up for a guy like him um, because Brett Veach is always looking to be aggressive in the draft, but I thought it was something we needed to touch on after hearing from Brett Veach because this is the type of stuff that can happen. With the NFL Draft Combine, with the NFL Draft, with pre-draft interviews, pre-draft workouts, guys fall in the draft, guys bomb interviews, and sometimes off-field stuff or investigation-type stuff, getting in trouble with the law, this stuff pops up, and it completely shakes up who's going to fall where in the NFL Draft. Marco, I'm sure you spent time talking about this on the Border Patrol this morning because this really was a big news that came out of Athens with Jalen Carter, one of the top NFL draft prospects, now having a rest warrant out for him that involved a fatal crash that killed a teammate and former Georgia staffer. He, along with Chandler LaCroix, were drag racing, going over 100 miles per hour. Alcohol was involved. They were recklessly driving. I mean, all signs indicate this could be very, very, very bad for a guy like Jalen Carter. But what are your takeaways? Uh, Not only on the matter at hand, but why sometimes... College guys with such a bright future, they just can make that bad decision, and it can cost them the rest of their future. I mean, that's every human. Um, yeah, that's every that's everybody. Uh, you talk about, you know, we're not too far far removed from college, but I mean, not every not every kid in in Lawrence where we went to school was driving around um, driving under the influence, and that's. One of the way, one of the reasons why Lawrence was such a cool and special place. Everything was walking distance, but nonetheless, uh, it, 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 it was it's it, it is a sad situation. It has been a sad situation ever since the news broke when uh, the two when the two students uh, student athletes passed away in the crash. Um, it's it's uh, it's just it's one of those things where. Like you said, it's about in the moment, not thinking, not thinking about ahead. I mean, I'm sure neither neither Jalen um, nor Chandler Lacroix nor Devin Willock, um, they, I'm sure neither of them, when they got in the cars, were thinking that um, two of them were going to die that night and yeah. that they were going to get into a wreck. You never think of the cons. It's 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 one of those things where you just never think of the consequences and. I don't know if, if you, I, 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 yeah, hypothetically, if you're going to commit a, an illegal crime, you should consider those. Or if you do something illegal, you should uh, you should consider those consequences because that goes in hand with um, the or the possibility that goes in hand with what you do. So um, that's that. I, I I don't know the psychology behind it. Um, to answer your question specifically, but I can tell you it's just one of those things where you're not thinking of the consequences um, at the time because, I'm, like I said, I'm sure neither of them thought that they would die that night. Um, 
it's it's a, it, it's a very sad occurrence of events, and Absolutely. I'm really curious to see what happens with uh, with Jalen Carter here because I don't know what I don't know. It it's, it sounds like he's just um, being, the warrant is for racing and reckless driving. Nothing about manslaughter in there. Or anything. I think it was so. misdemeanor charges that Jalen Carter yeah. has. Yeah, that, that Seth Emerson reported, but you know it's so sad with Chandler Lacroix being the staffer. You know, with Georgia, and as mm-hmm. you brought up as well. I mean, the people involved in this, it's just, it's a bad decision in the moment. And I know that sometimes when you get away with something like that, I mean, to me, it kind of feels like you never want to assume anything in a situation like this. But sometimes, you know, we've both been in college. Sometimes you've done something that was stupid. But if you get away with it once, you kind of do it again, or you feel like you can do it again. And it's just so sad that you have somebody's lives lost. I mean, with Chandler LaCroix. You know, football player, a staffer, a football player with their lives lost, and now yeah. Jalen Carter with that weighing over his head now for the rest of his life. So there was no toxicology on Jalen. There was no nothing about alcohol in his system. Uh, yes, it, per this report for Seth Emerson, I believe yeah. it didn't say, but it, it said for LaCroix, if I'm not mistaken, yes, LaCroix's yeah. blood alcohol concentration was at .197. And so the article I found, I guess Jalen Carter had got ticketed for speeding going yes. 89 and a 45. And also uh, per this report, it says the before the crash of the expedition, which was changed in the LaCroix car, the alcohol blood concentration was at .197. So that is what is out in this report per Seth Emerson, mm-hmm. was that Chandler LaCroix had the blood, blood, blood alcohol concentration of .197 and that the car was clocked at 104 before the crash. Now, Jalen Carter, you said that there was a speeding ticket yeah, for over accepted. eighty, uh-huh. but it doesn't feel it doesn't say in this report how fast he was going. Okay, so in this. and one well, in, in the article I read too um, from uh, P- from Pro Football Talk uh, was that he had given that he had told the police that he was a mile away from the site mm-hmm. of the crash. He was, and then he told them that he was behind the tailgate when they got into a wreck. Yeah, and then there was, he gave him three different answers, basically of where he was when this was all taking place. So. That's that's uh, that's that's interesting. Also, like I said, I'm really curious to see what comes of this following it. And it was it was a tragedy before today. These, we're just seeing now more consequent, more things that come from what was such a horrible thing. It was an absolutely tragic event that sometimes you just you know that that's just the world of, of media and sports. Sometimes something happens and then it kind of goes away for a little bit. But in a car crash or you know, type of tragedy, more than just a car crash, that had so much involved that took the lives of Stafford Chandler LaCroix, offensive lineman Devin Willock, and then also injured offensive tackle Warren McClendon and recruiting staffer Tory Bowles. I mean, there were so many people involved in this. And, you know, I want to say when it first came up, when this crash happened, you know, it was a talking point. But then after the weeks passed and, and other stuff happens – it kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit. It doesn't really pop up again. And now it has in full force as an NFL draft prospect and Jalen Carter has a warrant out for his arrest. So tragic event, everything that happened with it. And now it doesn't feel like this is anywhere close to over. This is far from over as it appears that Jalen Carter uh, is likely going to have more than just his draft stock to worry about. As it came out of Athens this morning, uh, there is a warrant out for his arrest. Kansas State is back in action tonight. Uh, they will be playing at home against Oklahoma on senior night. So they still have the hope, I would say, of trying to get to maybe the or lock down the two seed in the NCAA tournament. Right now, Joe Lunardi has Kansas State as the two seed in the NCAA tournament. He did say in his most recent projection that they have to win tonight to maintain that spot. They lose tonight to Oklahoma. They're going to drop off from the two seed, probably slide back into the three seed, and then you got to go into Morgantown on Saturday and find a way to win that, and then maybe two games in the Big 12 tournament. Though Oklahoma is struggling, or has struggled this year, let's just put it at that, they are a team that can get you, and I think Kansas State knows that better than anybody else. The Sooners got them in Norman by double digits, and Kansas State has been much better at home. A little bit of a collision course here. Kansas State's got all the pressure in the world. Oklahoma will need a miracle to make the NCAA tournament. And by meaning that, I would say they need to win the Big 12 tournament, which is very unlikely at this point. But they are a team that still has some talent out there that can play you close on the road. Kansas knows that better than anybody. Oklahoma led them by 10 at Allen Fieldhouse with about four minutes to go. 
And now they didn't hang on to that lead because Oklahoma's not a very well-coached, very good basketball team. And this Kansas State team, I think after their little rut that they had, losing to Texas Tech on the road, then losing to Oklahoma on the road, they bounced back in emphatic fashion, beating Iowa State at home and then beating Baylor at home. It's a Kansas State team, I think, that we all thought, or at least I thought, I'm going to admit when I'm wrong, we thought that maybe at the tail end of the season they were going to regress more than any other team in the Big 12 because of that lack of a third guy. You don't expect a guy like Keontae Johnson or Marquise Noel to carry you for an entire 33-game slate, but they've done just that. I mean, Jerome Tang in year one will continue to praise him for what he's done, 22-7 and in year one, and the team that was projected to finish dead last in the conference, they'll likely finish third or fourth. And that is still you know, miles and miles ahead of where everybody expected them to be. If Kansas State would have finished seventh or eighth this year, that would have been considered a successful year for Jerome Tang. With the hopes of now being a two-seed, hell, Kansas State's been a two-seed, what, one other time since 2010? And it was a year that they nearly made the Final Four. And we talked about it yesterday with their bracket projection. If they fell somewhere in a region that the one seed was Purdue, I think you could make a case that Kansas State could make a deep run into March. I think we all knew that at this point for Kansas State. But for the Wildcats to really hit a stride here, I'm curious how they're going to look on neutral floors. That may be a little thing, but I think it's a fair question to ask. They're so good at home. And they've been subpar of late on the road. They did win in Stillwater on Saturday. That was big for them. They've only got one more road game this season. But what are they going to look like on a neutral site? Is it kind of a mix and match of both? Maybe it depends on where that neutral site game is. Kansas City will be the Big 12 tournament, and they'll likely get into Des Moines for the first and second round of the NCAA tournament. Does it matter that much for this Kansas State team? I'm going to lean toward no, because I think right now they're firing at an incredible pace. They're going to be one of the hottest teams rolling into the NCAA tournament. We'll see tonight how they look on senior night against the Oklahoma Sooners. Tip-off, I believe, will be at 7 p.m. So for Kansas State, just so I can double-check here, not lead anybody in the wrong direction, they will be in action at 7 p.m. tonight on ESPN+. Plus. Cats are a 7.5-point favorite. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 a.m. You take it easy, Kansas City. I'll be back on my feet someday.